our service. Uh, I need to say we, we missed one of those that responded this morning, and she's probably gone with the young people tonight, but uh, Allie Thompson. <laughs> that have not had the chance to partake of the Lord's Supper, you can pass to the little chapel at this time, you'll be served. Um, Brother Doug's still feeling a little bit under the weather for uh, running kids' things, so we're going to take a time to uh, sing a few songs before uh, we dismiss the class. Uh, first one's going to be Where No One Stands Alone. Um, then I think we're going to review the um, It Shall Stand that we sang this morning, and then we've got Living Hope that we've sang a few times. So we're going to start with Where No One Stands Alone. So
Father God in heaven, you are an awesome God, and we are so blessed to have an opportunity to raise our voices to you and declare that you are a living hope, that without you, we would have none. Father God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, and that we can live our lives for him, that we can strive to be like him, and Lord, we pray that we will take every opportunity we can to, to light our fire, to be more on your side, to be more your servant each and every day. Father God, help us take this opportunity that we have coming up to learn more about your word, be with the teachers that have prepared, be with us as students to have attentive ears. Father God, forgive us where we fail you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Turn to somebody and smile. There we go. Look at somebody and smile. Surely y'all can do that. Good. Good. Okay. Let's see here. Appreciate each of you being in our class tonight. We're ready to start a, a, uh, another uh, segment of our study. And um, <clears throat> uh, I was out of...
town this morning. I had the opportunity to preach at Burnsville, and I appreciate uh, uh, being able to do that. Tonight, as we open our thoughts for just a little while, I'd like for us to begin by, uh, if you have anyone that you want to put on the prayer list, maybe some that uh, I'm not even aware of, but this is our practice, and we take a minute or two to, to uh, write anyone down that needs to be written down that maybe is on your heart. Uh, we have, of course, we have an extensive prayer list. For anyone that you'd like to put down. Yes, ma'am. Real bad folks like that. Hey, Is that what you said? Yeah, I didn't hear a word you say. He's been safe with him for quite a while. Is it James? Handwriting is atrocious tonight. It's bad on a good day. <laughs> Mickey and Rita, panel, both have COVID. Chopper Taylor. Chopper Taylor, of course. Anita's mother, can't remember her name. Anita. Yes. Anita's mom, is she? Clifton, yes, uh, Tennessee, yes, uh, who has been diagnosed with breast cancer. And of course, uh, there's always a plethora of people uh, that come in, into our attention on our bulletin, on our sick list, in our family, in our work family. Um, and these names happen to be uh, on the tip of your hearts tonight, and that's always important. And I appreciate the fact that you have people that you are carrying with you that are on your mind who need prayer. So let's go to God in prayer for these and as we focus our thoughts for just a little while. Let's pray together. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we are mindful of your goodness and your grace, of your power and your presence. Father, we humble ourselves before your throne on the bended knees of our hearts, asking you to forgive us of the things that are amiss in our lives as we are feeble humans. Father, we ask you to hear our petitions tonight on behalf of Jerry Trimble, James Goddard, Renee Page, and Mickey and Rita Panel, and Chopper Taylor, and Anita's mom and, and daughter, 
and Sherry Love and Brother Doug and others, Father, those who are on our sick list as shut-ins and those who are in nursing homes and care facilities, those who are struggling with the long-term effects of illness and rehabilitation. Father, we pray that you would be with each of those individuals and many of whom, Father, we don't even know, but you know. You know their needs. Be with their caregivers, be with their family members, and be with them especially as you know their needs and you can feel, their, their, feel those needs in accordance to your goodness and your grace. And Father, we pray all of these things in accordance to your will. And as we open our hearts and our minds and put our eyes to the task of looking into your truth, may we be mindful of just how precious your word is and that it is our authority for living. And as we think about its truth and then compare that truth to what we might know and what we might think and what we hear when we talk to others, may it, all, may it always be our task to compare everything to the pattern of your truth and shun everything and anything and all things except a complete obedience to the pattern of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, tonight we find ourselves in Lesson 4, and I told you there was no, um, um, we will take Lesson 4 for just as far as it needs to be taken, and we'll look at those things uh, together. But tonight we move from uh, thoughts or what the Bible says about the Lord's church to, and that title is rather long because it, it, it's going to encompass quite a bit, and we'll uh, my goal is to break that down in uh, learnable, digestible, discussable uh, uh, segments. But Bible truth compared to common misconceptions and error concerning the end of time, the coming of Jesus, and the establishment of the kingdom. Now, there's, uh, I put those three together because there are some misunderstandings out there, and so I'm going to open that up. So let me read that again so we can kind of get that in our minds, Bible truth compared to common misconceptions and error concerning the end of time, the coming of Jesus, and the establishment of the kingdom. So in the very first place, a little class discussion there, and um, I don't know how many out loud answers we'll get, that's okay, but what are some ideas, doctrines, beliefs, teachings, I break that down, you know, discussions maybe you've had that you've encountered regarding the end of time, regarding the coming of Jesus and or the establishment of the kingdom of Christ. What are some things that you have encountered that you wonder about? Uh, the idea that uh, the end of time is going to be heralded by wars and rumors of wars, absolutely, Matthew 24. Uh, I'm sure that you have heard discussions or participated in discussions of the Battle of Armageddon uh, or the coming of Christ uh, establishing a kingdom. Now, if I'm, if, if, if I'm saying something that's totally new, and, uh, well, then we'll not waste our time. But uh, the idea that there's going to be a thousand-year reign? Anybody ever heard that? 
that Jesus is going to set up a, a, a kingdom on earth? You ever heard that? Okay. Yes, okay. So those things are either in harmony with Scripture, and again, it's the very same premise. We're going to discuss and teach and talk about the truth, first of all, in, in, by using the truth, and very logically and very humbly and very lovingly. So those things either have a basis in Scripture or they don't. And it's as simple as that, and our goal is to, let's see. It's very, let's just see what the Bible says. Now, I did that with my other class, and kind of like the chicken illustration I put up there, those balloons, and I don't mean this sarcastically, so let me make sure I, I lay this premise down. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. But if you had a balloon, if you had a balloon uh, and someone took a, a pen, a straight pen, and you can actually punch a hole in a balloon without popping it, if you do it just right. Uh, how many holes does it take in an inflated balloon for that balloon to deflate and lose all its air? Just one. So what I would say, if I were sitting down with you, I would say you and I need to have this understanding at the very beginning. As we think about... Uh, these topics, and we ask ourselves, what does the Bible say about them? We have to keep in mind it only takes one hole to let all of the air out of a balloon. And if there is one thing, if ever I, if I were to stand before you, and I hope you always check every uh, word that comes out of my mouth, you compare everything I say. Don't trust my judgment. You trust the Scripture. But if I tell you something, and I tell you nine things that harmonize with Scripture, but one thing in my ten, my ten panel doctrine or lesson, nine of them harmonize with Scripture 100% perfectly, but one of them doesn't harmonize with Scripture, then that entire lesson is off. That entire doctrine uh, has no credibility. Why? Because I have tainted it with error. Now, the nine true things are still true, but they cannot be used to make a false thing false because truth is truth, and untruth is always what? It's always untruth. I cannot, in other words, in case I'm not making any sense, Luther, I can't take something that isn't truth and put it in a, a, uh, uh, a canopy, put it inside a bouquet of truth, and make it truth, it's still wrong. So one wrong idea makes any theory, any doctrine, any belief out of harmony with Scripture. So with that principle in mind, let's look at some misconceptions. Since y'all weren't very talkative, I, I came prepared, and I went ahead and put some down on paper. It's a good thing I didn't come in relying on y'all to give me some, uh, though you got them. Okay, here's the first one. Jesus came to establish the kingdom of earth, uh, to establish the kingdom on earth, but was rejected and killed by the Jews. Therefore, Christ established the church as a secondary measure until such time he would return and establish the kingdom. Now, that part of that might be, say, well, I've never heard that before. We've all heard the, the uh, concept of the theory or the thought that one day Jesus is coming back and he's going to establish a kingdom on earth. There are many who believe that. There are many who believe that or who are as sincere as the day is long. 
They are good individuals. They simply have not looked deep enough into Scripture. Does the Scripture teach that, yes or no? Well, that's a question I have to answer. I have to answer that with the Bible in hand. And a part of that belief is that the reason why the church is here, that you and I are in this building, is that God sent Christ to earth to establish it, but the Jews wouldn't let him. They rejected him, and they did reject him. And they had him crucified on a Roman cross at the hand of, of, of a wicked people, and they did do that. But rather than that being part of God's plan, that was a thwarting of God's plan, and so the church is kind of a stopgap secondary measure until such time the kingdom can be established. Well, that's either truth, that either fits truth or it doesn't. So let's see if that's the case. So we're going to look at several scriptures. All I want you to do, now I realize, let me understand, when we get into this, this is a roll-up-your-sleeves kind of study. This is a go-back-and-study-it-some-more kind of study. We're going to consider each of these scriptures and just simply notice, all I want you to do is carefully notice what each reveals about the church and about the kingdom according to God's revelation and plan. That's it. That's all we're going to do. That's all we're going to do. So we're going to start, we're going to look at these pairs. We'll look at Matthew 4, 17 and 23, and then Matthew 16, 18 and 19. We'll look at those pairs together. My brother, ready? Please. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now read verse 23 too. And Jesus went about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Okay. Now, read 18 and 19 if you've got it close. I can read the second pair if you need me to. Sixteen, eighteen, and nineteen. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay, now first, the first pair makes it very clear. Jesus went about healing, doing good, but Jesus also went about in the process of healing and doing good, getting, uh, letting the people understand that he truly was from God. What was his message? He was preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It said he went about preaching things concerning the kingdom of heaven. There's something we, we need to let sink in. Jesus was taking the time to explain to those that kingdom is coming. It is a fulfillment of the prophecy, the promise that was given. He was preparing them by teaching them what they needed to know. And he said to his disciples, or he said to his apostles, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. We've already discussed the uh, logical connection between 18 and 19, that the numbers 18 and 19 were not there in the original text. And he said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I'll give to you the keys of the kingdom. If the church and the kingdom were far removed, if the church is a now and the kingdom a then thing, then Jesus built one thing and 
preached about one thing and gave keys to something that was not yet even here, which doesn't logically follow, doesn't make sense. Now, we won't read Acts 2, 36 through 47, because we've already been through it quite extensively. But in, when you read that text, when uh, Peter told, answered the question, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of um, Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They, verse 41, who gladly received, those who obeyed, verse 42, continued uh, with many words, save yourselves from this untoward, this crooked generation. And then verse 47, as many of them, uh, um, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being what? Being saved. Okay, so the Lord added to the church those being saved. Now, look at Acts chapter 8. Let me slow down just a little bit and let this sink in. Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. Okay, read that passage. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of, in, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Okay, remember now, my goal is to make this super simple. Do you remember in Acts 2 that those who gladly received his word were baptized and they were added to them that day about 3,000? The Lord added to the blank those who were being saved. What goes in the blank? Church. Okay, now wait a minute. Here, here we are, six chapters later, and when they heard Philip preaching, what was he doing? He was preaching concerning the kingdom of God. They were baptized. So were two groups of people baptized at two separate teachings? No. No. What? Same message. When he preached concerning the kingdom, he was talking about the church. So again, how do you know that? Well, let's look some more. Same message. All right, go to Colossians chapter 1. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1. We'll start about verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Okay, who is the head of the church? Christ. And according to verse 14, in Christ we have redemption through his what? His blood, forgiveness of sins. Now wait a minute. Uh, so would you say that verse 13 is a description of verse 14, or verse 14 is a description of verse 13? Or perhaps I say it this way, does verse 13 and 14 go together? That's talking about God who has delivered us out of the power of darkness. That's being lost, right? That's, that's, 
the condition of being lost, who delivered us out of the power of darkness and has translated us, moved us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So to be in Christ is to be in the kingdom, according to those verses. Am I misreading that? He's using the language, uses kingdom and Christ synonymously. And he is head over all things to the church, verse 18, which is his body. Being in Christ, being in the kingdom, being in the church are used interchangeably here. Otherwise, it's, it's confusion. Okay? Now look at Revelation 1 and verse 9. These scriptures, if you haven't figured it out yet, all I'm trying to do is show you that in scripture that the kingdom and the church are one and the same according to God's plan and the unfolding of his plan in Christ. Now we're going to look at this... Uh, uh, segmentally, very carefully. Okay. Revelation 1 and verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, wait a minute. I'm, uh, hang on just a minute. I'm going to get you to read that one more time. I want to read 1 Corinthians 1 2 to you. Are you with me? 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2. Listen to it. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints, with all who are in every place, who in every place, call on the, call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, uh, both theirs and ours. Okay, he's a salutation, a greeting to the church. Now, John said, read that again. What did John say? I, John, who, am, who also am your brother, and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So if the church is a separate entity, a separate body, a separate thing from the kingdom that Jesus preached, from the kingdom of God that Jesus preached is coming, then in th this verse is contradictory because John said, I am a fellow laborer with you in the kingdom. Paul said, we're translated into the kingdom when we receive salvation through the blood of Jesus. Wait a minute, I thought that was when the Lord added us to the church in Acts 2. It is. Both of them. They're one and the same. So I want you to see that. So the idea is I cannot have the, well, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sorry. Let's look at uh, Daniel 2 and verse 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom, kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Now, I want y'all to listen. That says Ephesians 3.20, but I, I want you to read 21 with it. Did you hear what he said? In the days of these kings, the God of heaven shall set up a kingdom, and it shall last how long? Forever. Never be destroyed. For, last forever? 
that what he said? Okay, now listen to what he said. He uses the same words here, same idea in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Time out, let me stop you right there. He's talking about God, the same God of heaven Daniel was talking about. The same God who has that kind of power, uh, that's uh, to him, that's to him who is able, that's God, go ahead. According to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, amen. So, do we come to an understanding then that the belief that Jesus will return to earth someday to establish his kingdom cannot be accurate? Just one premise, and we've got several, but just this one to begin. The belief that Jesus will return to earth someday to establish his kingdom cannot be accurate because the Bible teaches that the church built by Jesus and the kingdom of Christ are one and the same. Word on first test on four here never said foot like the Well, no, we're getting we're coming to that. But the conclusion that well, did I lost my spot here? that Jesus will return to earth someday and establish, first of all, it can't be true because the kingdom is already here. John was in the kingdom. Those who are washed in the blood are translated into the kingdom and are added to the church. Wait, so the Bible teaches that the church and the kingdom are the same thing. Again, this is just logical Bible study. So to think that, okay, the kingdom is yet to be, that doesn't fit scripture, but the kingdom is already here. The kingdom is the church. Now, that's just the, the, the little one, okay? Yes, sir. Preventing from establishing the kingdom the first time, who's to say he won't be the second time? Well, that's true. That's an interesting. Uh, JT said if he was prevented from establishing his kingdom the first time because of the, because of the Jews, what's to say that he won't be the second time? that uh, if one group can stop him, what about another group? And of course we realize the idea that any group can stand against the plan of God has never had any merit in Scripture. But, sir, I, absolutely. In fact, God uses the efforts of men to thwart him as stepping stones to build uh, greater and, and bigger things. And he always, always has done that. And we're not even considering the scriptures, for time's sake, that show that um, uh, the, he used the rejection of the Jews to unfold his plan, not the other way around. Uh, he knew that that was going to be the case. Let's look at a second one, a second misconception. Jesus will return to earth someday to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem. He will reign on this earth for a thousand years. Now we add a little bit to it. In that verse you mentioned is definitely going to be key in our, in our uh, study. But the idea that one day Jesus is coming to establish a kingdom. Have you heard this before? Do you have friends who believe this? Have you heard this on television or uh, wherever that one day Jesus is going to return to earth, establish his kingdom in Jerusalem, sit on a throne, okay, you have, sit on a throne and reign on earth for a thousand years. If you've ever heard, if you've ever heard the idea, nod your head. Okay, so it's not, it's, it is something that we will encounter. Therefore, we have to make sure 
that we understand where that idea stands in light of Scripture. Folks, we cannot make the mistake, we cannot make the assumption that our children and their children automatically, by default, know the doctrine, uh, God's truth, simply because they sit in our buildings. We must have conversations with them and Bible studies with them and get past simple uh, stick figure lessons. That's great for children, but when they get old enough to talk, we need to roll up our sleeves and talk to them about what the Bible says about things that are taught that are not right. Now, of course, that means I have to be able to talk about it. Let's look at a couple of things here. Let's look. First of all, consider, now we're going to break it down a little bit. We don't even have to read these two. We've already read them. Consider these. What does this reveal about Jesus' return to earth at his second coming? What do we learn here? First of all, very first thing, in, uh, in fact, we're going to do this one together. Revelation 1.9, John said, I am a fellow laborer with you in the kingdom. And in Colossians 1.13, when he, God translates us out of the power of darkness, uh, delivers us out of the power of darkness, and translates us into the kingdom of his dear son. Okay? So, logical conclusion, the kingdom of Christ exists now. Is that a logical conclusion, yes or no? Okay. And when I say logical, I mean makes sense because it's backed by Scripture. Okay? Second thing, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28. Sister Marilyn was talking about, and it's actually, I think the, it's the 20th chapter, you probably got it in mind, and guess what we're going to do one Sunday evening? Uh, we're going to, uh, we'll probably have to cut our sleeves off because they won't roll up that high. Uh, we're going to dig into the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation um, and look at some things. It's a great study, nothing to be afraid of. It's a wonderful study, uh, but it has to harmonize with the rest of Scripture. Or, let me rephrase that, anything I pull out of it and think has to harmonize with the rest of Scripture. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15. Read 20 through 28, and y'all listen to it. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first, fruit, first fruits of them that slept. For since by man, man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is expected 
which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject, subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Oh, what a powerful study here uh, to really, man, it would take forever to just sit and talk about this particular passage. But in this passage on the resurrection, on the end, look, if you're listening right now in this audience or you're listening uh, via our live streaming and it, it and you my well I've always been taught in my Sunday school that Jesus is going to come and set up a kingdom that's what my preacher says that's what I've always thought I understand that and I appreciate your sincerity all I ask you is to consider this if you look at this passage it says then comes the end Okay, the end is when Jesus is coming back. Would you agree with that? When the end comes, there's going to be a judgment. When the end comes, time will be no more. Uh, but notice what he says. Then comes the end when he shall have established the kingdom. Except that's not what it says, is it? Folks, that's not what it says. Then comes the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom. Wait a minute. If I understand that passage of Scripture, when Jesus comes again, he isn't bringing a kingdom. He isn't establishing a kingdom. This is not me talking. This is the Scripture. When Jesus comes again, he is gathering the kingdom and delivering it to God. Just That is a very Paul-like way of course, Paul was inspired, but that's a very Paul-like way of saying, you know, Paul was very uh, academic, was our brother Paul. And this is academic Paul's way of saying what Jesus said in John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Uh, if my father's house were many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you under myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And that's Paul's description of that. When, then comes the end when Jesus will deliver the kingdom. So I cannot harmonize a thought process that suggests Jesus is going to build a kingdom or establish a kingdom when he comes because the scripture says he's coming to deliver, to get it, not establish it. Now, this one, do I have time to do this one? Yes, I've got nine minutes and it'll take all nine of them. This one, this one to me, it's the most powerful of all. And it's one that we never discuss. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 22. And if you've got your Bibles with you, I challenge you to not just listen to it, but it's important that you hear this. Remember, I say this lovingly, but how many holes does it take to deflate a balloon? Just one. Now, the idea is, let me get this straight, JT, the idea is, is that Jesus will come again, establish a kingdom in Jerusalem, sit on the throne there for a thousand years. Is that the generalization of the, the idea? Yes. Okay. So now let's read uh, Jeremiah 20, 22. Start with verse 24. As I live, saith the Lord, though Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Ju Judah, were the signet upon my right hand, yet would I pluck thee thence. 
and I will give thee unto the hand of them that seek thy life, and unto the hand of them whose face, face thou fearest, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. And I will cast thee out, and thy mother that bare thee, into another country where you were not born, and there shall ye die. But to the land whereunto they desire to return, thither shall they not return. Is this man, Kanai, a despised, broken idol? Is he a vessel wherein his is no pleasure? Wherefore are they cast out, and his seed, and his seed, and are cast into the land which they know not? O, o earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. So the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin were carried into Babylonian captivity. God said it would happen, and it did happen. And Coniah, and you will read about him in other places, he's called Jeconiah, uh, the son of King Jehoiakim, very wicked. And notice, first of all, can you imagine God saying, how would you feel if God said about you, if even though you were a signet on my right hand, I would pluck you off. Even if you were one of my precious rings, Coniah, I'm going to take you off and throw you in the trash. I've had it. I'm finished. You've had opportunity after opportunity. I remove you from being king. You will go into Babylonian captivity. Now watch what verse 30 says. Write this man down as childless. No, a, no one of his descendants will prosper, sit on the throne of David, ruling in Judah. So how many of Jeconiah's descendants will be allowed to sit on the throne in Jerusalem? Zero. Absolutely zero. And yet, if you, it may be that you're thinking, okay, that's really cool, but what's that got to do with this? What's that, what does that have to do with this study at all? If you'll permit me, go to Matthew chapter 1. Now, Matthew chapter 1 is one of those passages that you always say, Oh, me, that's that passage that's got all of those names. All of those names in the genealogy of Christ. All I'm asking you to do is be patient um, and listen to some of these names. You ready? Matthew 1, 10 through 16. And Ezekiel begat Manassas, and Manassas begat Amon, and Amon begat Je Joseph, and Joseph begat Jehekonas, and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jehokonus begat Salathel, and Salathel begat Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begat Abud, and Abud begat Elikam, and Elikam begat Azor, and Azor begat Sadok, and Sadok begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliud, and Eliud begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Mathen, and Mathen begat Jacob. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. This is a, uh, a, a lineage, the genealogy of Jesus, right? Now someday, now look, I'm not the smartest bub in the box. I'm just a very lowly, whatever it is I am. But now, you know, I was trying to think of a nice word, but whatever I am, okay. But, okay, did you read that? that? That's the genealogy of Jesus, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. But did you notice in verse number 8? Uh, no. 
wait a minute, I lost it. Verse number 10, I'm sorry. Um, verse 11. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried into... Oh, wait, what? You can go back to First Chronicles chapter 3, 2 and read about Jeconiah. Coniah, same person. C-O-N-I-A-H. Jeconiah and Coniah are the same person. The son, Josiah begot Jeconiah, his brother... Wait a minute. If, if I'm not mistaken, then Jeconiah is a, or Jesus is a descendant of Jeconiah, right? What, sir? Yeah, yes, he's a descendant. If Jesus sits on the throne, folks, in all honesty, if Jesus comes to earth, establishes a kingdom in Jerusalem and sits on a literal throne, he's defied God. Because God said, no more of the seed line of Jeconiah will sit on a throne in Jerusalem. And if Jesus does that, he has done something that is against the declaration of God. And if he does that, if he, do, if he does that, who in the world? If he does, who said that? If he does that, then he has rebelled against God. Folks, Jesus isn't going to do that. The idea that he's going to establish a physical kingdom, Jesus is a descendant of Jeconiah, therefore he cannot rightly sit on an earthly throne. So therefore, what's in Revelation 20 must be a spiritual application. It must be a spiritual kingdom. Because if Jesus sits on a physical throne in a physical Jerusalem, then he is going against the proclamation of God. God said it's not going to happen anymore. So that's Scripture. And that's only three. And we're at 558. So we're going to stop right there. Next week, if you want to do a little homework... Uh, there's your verse that we're about to get to. Uh, read 1 Thessalonians 4 and 2 Peter 3, and we'll learn a little more about just simply scriptures. In the grand scheme of things, the, the idea that Jesus will come back in, in, in great power and establish a kingdom on a, and, and sit on a physical throne and, and have a physical kingdom for a thousand years is very powerful. There's the two verses. I'm sorry, right there. There's the two verses. Um, it is a very grandiose and powerful thing. But if it doesn't harmonize with Scripture, then it's false. It's wrong. It has to be. And so therefore, all I would ask is consider that in your Bible study. That's true. Second Peter chapter three. That's where we're going to be next. That's our next, uh, our next understanding to look at. So again, this is you know we're taking this very slowly and very simply. Thank you very much. Have a great night and a great week.